and welcome to the first episode of the Eat, Exercise, Empower podcast. I'm Jenny Hanway. This is Tim Hanway. And we are coming to you from our house in Newton Centre. It's a sunny Sunday morning. We've got our organic low-acid coffee here. We've just had first breakfast. And we're going to answer some questions that have sent and been sent in by my audience. So the first two questions come in from Cassandra. Question number one. How do you navigate eating well when going out to restaurants with friends or parties? It seems like oftentimes the only healthy option are things like Caesar salads with iceberg lettuce, and they're always laden with thick dressings, and it gets a little old always being offered hummus and vegetables uh, and bringing things like that to potlucks. So what's something I can be happy with? So let me just say that Cassandra's voice isn't that deep naturally. Um, so when we're looking at restaurants, the first thing that I always try to do is I always try and choose the restaurant. So people get decision, decision fatigue and they don't want to choose. So by choosing the restaurant, you have a lot of power over what you can eat. If you don't have that option of choosing the restaurant, then I'd say go first and pick your protein. So I'm always going to look at all of the dishes and maybe do what I would call like a pick and mix from the menu. So I might find on the menu a really great piece of steak that I would like or a salmon dish, but that dish might come with the sides that I don't want. So I'll find the protein that I want, a good quality one, organic pasture-raised meat, wild-caught fish... Um, And then I'll have a look at the sides that come with it. So for example, if the steak that I want comes with fries, I'll have a look at the sides for the other dishes and maybe choose one of them, maybe something like a quinoa or a rice pilaf. And then what I'll do is I'll look at the vegetable sides and choose my own veggies and then maybe even swap out one of the sides for an extra extra portion of veggies and a salad. And as long as the dishes are on the menu, I've never really had any problems ordering that way. Um, Just be super sweet, super polite. And as long as you're not ordering off the menu, I've never had any issues with that. The other thing, if I'm going somewhere and I'm not really sure about the quality of the proteins, then I'll always go for the vegetarian or the vegan option and add some great veggie side dishes to that as well. What about taking food to parties, though? I mean, I don't think you want to be known as the guy or the woman that always shows up with the vegetable platter, with the cucumbers. I mean, are there ways you can kind of spice things up and still, you know, contribute? So again, I would go vegetarian or vegan on this. And rather, as you say, doing like cold veggie sticks with a really bad like Thousand Island dressing or something. Um, Think about like some roast veggies, a really great quality goat's cheese. Um, something like a kale and butternut squash with a tahini dressing. We're doing that at Superfood Society in a couple of weeks' time. Um, Just some really, really great veggie dishes that have a lot of taste and a lot of flavor and also that travel well. Um, In summer, you might want to think about something like a gluten-free panzanella salad. Um, Or the other option is to do a really delicious fruit plate and get some really great berries, some mango, all of the really, really good fruits. And then you can never go wrong with some really great quality dark chocolate as well. Well, those sound really great. So hopefully you do something like that for us soon. And next time we get invited to a party, if we get invited to a party, because we're so rock and roll, at least we know what we can kind of bring. So here's a new question. In addition to what we eat, the products we use on our bodies are also very important. Do you have any favorite brands for skincare and makeup that are more natural but still work well? So this is another question that came up from Cassandra post the beauty branch that we did with Superfood Society a couple of weeks ago. And by no means am I a green beauty expert, but I'm very, very lucky that I know some. There are some great green beauty experts here in Boston, um, and I'm really on my journey with this. Um, That journey started at the Wild Summit a couple of years ago, and I found it's really, really fun discovering some new brands. 
Um, and there are some great local brands that I love to support here in Massachusetts as well. So in my opinion, and certainly something I did when I looked at transitioning to cleaner beauty products was that I didn't overhaul everything at once. That was far too overwhelming and also really, really costly. So every time that something ran out, I would replace it with a cleaner, more natural version. I also think there's some things that are really, really big wins when it comes to green beauty, um, especially looking at the products that go all over your body. So things like body lotion, shower gel, as these are really gonna make the biggest difference because they affect the biggest surface area. Um, the other thing that I think is super important is clean lip care because if you think about all of the things that we ingest when we put it onto our lips, I think those are super important. Um, and one of my favorite local companies, True Moringa, has just brought out a new line of lip whips and I just ordered one of those this morning so I'm excited to use that. Um, a couple of really great resources I use um, are EWG's Skin Deep Cosmetics Guide and you can find that at ewg.org. And they also have a fantastic app which lets you scan barcodes of beauty products and you get a rating on how clean they are. So that's super easy and you can take that into any store with you. Um, the other resource I love is the Falane website which provides a list of substances you should avoid in your products. And Falane is a really, really great, it's an online store. They also have stores in Boston. They've just opened a pop-up in New York. And they're a really, really great resource for all things clean beauty. Um... There's some really, really great local products to Boston. Um, a couple I love are Organic Bath and True Moringa. And I love their body scrubs and their body oils. And then I also love Josh Rose Rosebrook's products for hair products and a tinted moisturizer with SPF that I wear every day. Very, very nice. All right. Question three. I know something you get asked a lot about is probiotics. And that is actually a very favorite topic of dinner conversation at the Hanway household. Uh, but in all seriousness, it's something you're clearly passionate about, especially uh, being a big advocate of gut health. Can you give us a simple guide on purchasing a good, effective probiotic? Okay, so this is something, this is probably one of the questions that I get asked um, a lot about, and I think it's really, really important. When we look at supplements, we really are looking at, you do get what you pay for. So if you're looking at buying cheap quality supplements, at best, they're going to be ineffective. And at worst, they can actually be harmful for your health. So and a good probiotic is one of what I call the fundamental uh, protocols. So it's one of my top fives. So let's start by just defining what a probiotic is, because this word does get thrown about a lot. Now, something can only be called a probiotic if the benefits of the bacteria have been proven in a study. So while something like fermented foods, your kefirs, your kimchi, etc., they do contain live bacteria, they can't be classified as a probiotic as all of the bacteria and its benefits have not been studied. Also, because they are natural products, they're food products, they'll have varying strains of amounts of bacteria. So to qualify something as a probiotic, it needs a strain identification and an expiry date as well to be to qualify as a probiotic. And I'll talk about those, those expiry dates a little bit later on. Well, how do we tell if a probiotic is effective overall? That's a great question, husband Hanway. Okay, so what we're looking at when we're looking at a probiotic and how effective it is, is we're looking at a measurement called CFUs, and that stands for colony forming units. And that's how we measure a probiotic. So we wanna see how much of the probiotic is alive rather than just how much it weighs. So that weight is really redundant when we measure bacteria because what we're looking for is how much is active, not just how much it weighs. That weight could be live or dead bacteria. 
So the CFUs count how much live bacteria there is in something. And that's what you're looking for is it should be live at the time of used, not live at the time of manufacture. So when something says it's live at the time of manufacture, that's how many live bacteria they are when it kind of leaves the warehouse. What we want is how much is going to be live when we're actually taking it and going into its body. So this CFUs, this colony forming units, measure how much live bacteria in a probiotic. Now, for a really, really general rule of thumb, we want to have at least 1 million CFUs, but this is dependent on the type of bacteria. So for example, some bacteria might be beneficial at 1 million CFUs, but other species of bacteria might be only beneficial at 60 million CFUs. So we also want to see when you're looking at a probiotic, the species and the strain must be identified. So that might be your lactobacillus, etc., etc. And again, having a look at that expiry date, that's really, really important. You're looking for something with an expiry date, not time of manufacture. That's going to tell you how much is live and therefore effective in your body. So just to sum that up, just some general rules you can look at. Um, for general health, you want to buy a good broad spectrum probiotic, one a day, keep it in the fridge. I take mine in the morning just out of habit, so I remember, but a good quality one should be able to be taken at any time of day. Look at switching your probiotic up and getting a higher dose or a different or a strain-specific probiotic after illness, after a course of antibiotics, or after a real course of stress as well. Good probiotic should always need to be refrigerated. And then on top of the probiotic, I always recommend fermented foods as well. And what that means is that you're going to get a wide variety of those good bacteria. So when we're looking at gut health, we're looking at something called the microbiome, and we really want a diverse microbiome. So the more different bacteria we can get in there, the better. So having some fermented foods, some kimchi, sauerkraut, kefir, kombucha every day, just means you're going to get that wide variety in that diverse microbiome. And then again, not forgetting to feed the probiotics with prebiotics. You've got to think about that you're putting the probiotics in and then by feeding them with prebiotics, those starchy veggies, it's like planting the seeds and then watering the garden. Well, let me just say I can listen to you speak about probiotics all day. For those listening, that's actually when I fell in love with Jen, we were on a date and she talked all about gut health and I knew I was sold. But uh, it helps. And I can just say from my own experience, just looking at microbiomes and just having a healthier lifestyle has helped me, you know, certainly as a man in terms of my own training. So things that maybe you don't even consider like increasing muscle mass and just being healthier and improving all markers of health. It, it makes a huge difference. You are what you eat. And I guess you are what you eat eats. Actually, you are what you absorb, but we'll talk about that at another point. Mm. All right. Whilst I've got the lovely husband Hanway with me, I'm going to pick his brains on all things training today. And we're going to look at program design and really going back a little bit further even than that and looking at why a program in the gym is really, really important. And a lot of my clients come to me and they work super hard and they take five group fitness classes a week and they're really, really working out super hard but they're not getting the results that they really deserve. Um, and looking at that, that's because their exercise programming is kind of all over the place. They're doing different things every week. There's no continuity. And so when I hand them a program that I'm asking them to do kind of, you know, a couple of times a week for four weeks, it's a really, really big change to them. And what I really wanted to talk on, on why this continuity and really why having a program is so important. A lot of them ask, you know, I'm not an athlete or I'm not a bodybuilder. You know, why is this programming and consistency so important to me? Um, Tim, can you expand on this a little bit more? Yeah, I'd be absolutely happy to. 
uh, Jen. So what you've just described, as you so eloquently put it, um, is nothing that's that's uncommon, especially with general populations. And you know, I think in this case, the old adage is true: failing to plan is planning to fail. And there isn't anything inherently sexy about having a plan, but just think of other kind of areas of your life, whether it be your own personal finances, whether it be um, preparing for work, whether it be organizing your daily calendar. Uh, you know, people don't just kind of wing these things. There's a reason why we achieve success in other kind of realms of life. And to think that the same rules don't apply to training, uh, it just doesn't work that way, unfortunately. But I do think you hit on a few things as well, is you have to enjoy what you do. So if someone loves going to spin class every week, if someone enjoys doing um, something like, I don't know, rock climbing, there's nothing wrong with that variety, but you still need to have consistency, but you also need to have some sort of plan on when you're gonna do those things, and more importantly, how those things are gonna effectively tie together to, to help you achieve your goals. So when I'm giving my clients a program, and let's say, for example, it's eight or nine sex set exercises, they're going to have set rest periods, tempos, all of those kind of things. Why is that? Why is that so important? You know, why is it important to have this consistency week in, week out? Well, that's a great question too. And I mean, even what you just mentioned shows a level of preparedness and organization that, quite frankly, being in this field myself, I don't always see from fellow practitioners. So I think the big thing to understand is that if you're working with a qualified trainer, uh, you know, a coach such as yourself. Uh, you're not just plucking those numbers out of thin air. You know, there's a reason why you're doing uh, sets of three or four for a particular exercise. There's a reason why you're picking that particular exercise. Why you're performing 10 repetitions as opposed to six or seven. These things are not made up. And one of the best mantras uh, that I've heard, and it's actually first expressed to me by Charles Poliquin, who's a really well-known strength and conditioning coach the world over, is he has this mantra where you have to let the repetitions dictate the weight. So if you want to get leaner or you want to uh, burn body fat, there are certain rep ranges that are conducive to that. And that's why those things do matter, you know. Okay, so what's the importance of consistency? So doing the same workout plan, you know, three, four, five weeks at a time. Why is that so important? Well, I mean, consistency is really the name of the game, in my personal opinion. Uh, you know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to stress particular muscle groups to get them stronger. That's going to be conducive to fat loss. That's going to be conducive to so many goals that you want, but you're not going to achieve that without consistency. So really, consistency is what's going to affect any type of change within a muscle. So if I'm looking for my muscles to get bigger or stronger, then it's that consistency is key. 100%. And so that's why we're looking at doing the same exercises for three, four, maybe five weeks in a row is because that muscle needs that consistent stress to affect a change. Am I right? Absolutely. Again, 100%, Jen. I mean, the fact of the matter is the most successful programs, the most effective programs are centered around consistency. So I guess we're really looking at in terms of, of anything really get those fundamentals right. And the other things can be accessories on the side. For example, getting your diet right with some great proteins, great bunch of veggies, some good fats, and then having things like your unicorn lattes on the side. And the things when it comes to body composition and training goals, getting those fundamentals like your strength training down, and then your rock climbing, your spinning, your yoga, that's all accessories. Does that make sense? 100%. All right, we're going to leave it here, and we are going to go and practice what we preach, and we're going to go and kick our own butts in the gym. 
if you have any questions, you can email me at jenniferhanway at icloud.com. You can also find me on Twitter at jenniferhanway, Facebook, jenniferhanwaywellness, um, and Instagram at jenniferhanway. All right, have a good day. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure.